They retaliated with tariffs, right? And they've been at 17 years of, of trade wars, which has an enormous impact. Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. The last time you took a commercial airline flight, odds are that you were on a plane that was manufactured by one of two companies, American-based Boeing or French-based Airbus. Together, these two companies have almost the entire market for commercial airplanes. A piece published recently at the website American Compass makes the argument that Airbus is a success story for industrial policy. European governments identified a need, decided that they should compete with foreign manufacturing of airplanes. They made the public money backed investments and propelled Airbus past Boeing and others to be the world leader. As American Compass said when publishing the piece, quote, According to free market dogma, state-backed Airbus shouldn't have been able to compete with Boeing. Instead, Airbus surpassed Boeing as leading aircraft manufacturer, gaining a reputation for cutting-edge innovation. U.S. policymakers should take note. The American Compass piece really took off. But is it really describing reality for Airbus and Boeing? Mercatus Center Research Fellow Veronique Deruji says that those claims need some serious grounding. In response to the American Compass piece published at National Review, Deruji flies into the industrial policy headwinds and argues that while crony capitalism certainly works for the companies it benefits, that doesn't mean that it's good for the entire country. Buckle your safety belts and secure your deployed oxygen masks, because today I talk with Veronique Deruji about the turbulent claim that European industrial policy to boost Airbus worked the reality of massive American public subsidies to Boeing, and whether advocates of industrial policy can actually bring their stated goals in for a safe landing. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act in Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Veronique Deruji, welcome to Act in Line. Thank you for having me. So the piece that you published at National Review, a uh, closer look at aircraft industrial policy, is uh, taking a look at another piece that was published at American Compass, the title of which is Airbus's Industrial Flight Plan. Uh, for our audience, before we get into your piece and your reaction to uh, this American Compass piece, could you give us an overview of the argument that's being made in the American Compass piece about Airbus, about its uh, and European industrial policy, and what the author thinks the implications of the Airbus story are for the United States, for how the United States should potentially uh, approach industrial policy 
uh, vis-a-vis Boeing, the biggest air, uh, aircraft manufacturer in the United States. What, what is the argument that's being made in this American Compass piece? So I'm going to try to be fair to uh, and, and just represent their views uh, as fairly as I can. I think the argument that they're making is to say, look, um, in the 70s, a consortium of government, of European government, wanted to create an aircraft uh, manufacturing company um, uh, to compete with what they saw as the U.S. supremacy at the time. And it included not just uh, not just Boeing, even though Boeing was still the dominant force um, in the, of, that, of that supremacy. Um, uh, and so they decided to to invest a lot of money, give subsidies, uh, give loan, uh, very preferential terms for a comp- for 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 Airbus, and uh, and it and it, it and it paid off. That's the, that's the that's the message. Like today, um, you know, Boeing obviously is 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 still is still there still. Uh, but but the, between the two of them, between Airbus and um, and and Boeing, they have ninety nine percent of the market in commercial aircraft, and uh, and um, Airbus is uh, is now uh, getting more shares of that market, and hence it shows that industrial policy works. And not just this; one of the things that they like about Boeing is. That their supply chain is 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 um, is is intentionally European, that um, and and so hence employs a lot of people and things like this. So it's like it's like look, it it, it works. It kind of has a vast network of of companies throughout Europe employing people. Uh, we like employment, uh, especially employment in manufacturing. I think jobs is good for the family. I think I think that's kind of the implications because it's part of a series about how uh, industrial policy can um, um, can improve um, communities and it can improve uh, the well being of people. And and they they say things like you know look um, this is this is something that was conceived by government and then and now. In 2022, Airbus is selling more planes than Boeing. Hence, I assume the lesson is let's do more of that in the U.S. As I read your piece, I think there are three questions that come to my mind uh, in terms of your critique of uh, this piece at American Compass. Um, I'd like to walk through those. Um, the three questions I think are, what does it get wrong about Airbus's story? What do they get wrong about Boeing's story? And what do they get wrong about uh, what those stories have in terms of implications for industrial policy? So let's let's start with Airbus. Um, walk us through your thoughts on Airbus, you know, the story you just told, is this really the story of a victory for uh, industrial policy for Europe in creating this really the, the largest competitor to Boeing for commercial aircraft? Or is, are they misunderstanding what should be the takeaway from the Airbus story? 
So, I mean, I'm I'm going to answer your question in a slightly different way. What is it that they get wrong, that they get right, right? What they get right is if you pour billions of dollars into uh, into a company, you give them preferential terms such as, for instance, that they won't have to be uh, repaying any loans that they take on to build their planes until they're actually making a profit. And if they never make a profit and that plane has to be removed from the market, they don't have to uh, pay that loan back. Uh, you give them a ton of support. You have presidents after presidents uh, selling Airbus planes around the world. Um, yes, you can produce, you can, you can produce an airline that is going to be viable and is going to grab some shares uh, in the in the market. I mean, there's just like no doubt about this. But that in and of itself is not controversial, right? I mean, that's not, it's like, while a lot of the time, government-funded projects end up failing at, or never taking off the ground or not um, not adapting to changes to the point that they end up failing, the fact that it's possible um, is is not is not is not uh, is not a, a revelation. The thing that they are, they are not doing uh, well, and they are not even kind of they're just asserting uh, their case. Hence, it's a good thing that like they're not actually looking at the cost that these policies have. Right? They're just looking at the benefit, and honestly, from the uh, company's perspective. Just there's again the number of time I've testified before Congress about the value, uh, the economic, uh, the economic impact of a given program, and next to me was uh, were a lot of people saying, "Hey, I've gotten that government money, and this is good for me." Uh, and and it, it's it happens all the time, of course, from Airbus' perspective, it, it, it's shareholder and the people who are employing the supply chain. It's good. What's the real question is what's the what's the real cost of that subs these subsidies, which um it's hard to measure because there's so many of the intangible uh of like like not having to repay a loan, even if you repay it, but you start repaying it long down the road when maybe the private sector would not have taken a risk on you. Um uh, and so it's like $200 billion at least in, in the subsidies, plus all these intangible things. What is the, what's the, what's the cost? I mean, some, some resources have gone to be, uh, taken away from use that arguably could be better and workers, uh, taken to be put into that line of business because the incentive created were so strong. Uh, what are the what's the cost of this? And they don't do they make absolutely no attempt to uh, to 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 try to figure that out. They um, they don't even try to see what the impact it's had on manufacturing overall. Um, like that's a big thing in American Compass. They put, they think manufacturing jobs somehow are like better than. Than other jobs, and and when you when you go and look, I mean, the footprint of of Airbus as successful as it's been, uh, and how I mean, it's extremely extremely small in Europe overall. Um, the impact on the economy is hard to tell. I mean, all, I mean, it's 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 
just by looking at the health of these countries who heavily have been, the economic health, who have been heavily invested in subsidizing Airbus, uh, it's not, it's not, it's certainly not obvious that, that these subsidies are doing, doing anything good on net overall. And that is, that's actually kind of, uh, that's the most important thing. And the piece doesn't begin to try to even think about it. They just want to measure the value of industrial policy and the value of creating and subsidizing Airbus by the uh, output, its ability to 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 produce plane and its ability to hire people. But um, but it, it's it's not it's not serious. That's not serious work. Something else that I noticed in in reading both your piece and the American Compass piece, and not just the text of the American Compass piece, but I think the context in which they're doing a lot of their work uh, and the rhetoric that I find that surrounds it is inveighing against this uh, often invoked, but I find always uh, undefined idea of a belief in, quote, market fundamentalism. Yeah. And I find what in, what's interesting to me is the comparison that's being made between Airbus and Boeing and saying that, you know, Airbus is engaged in this form of industrial policy or the people who are funding Airbus, uh, providing the subsidies that you've described, are engaged in this industrial policy. And I think kind of implicitly in kind of a little bit of sleight of hand that goes on uh, is this implication that the uh, comparisons they're making with Boeing are about some kind of market fundamentalist approach to the way that Americans pursue uh, aircraft manufacturing. And that's hardly the case with Boeing. Um, Could you describe what the actual state of play is for Boeing and the way that uh, the American government has approached aircraft manufacturing, uh, again, at least vis-a-vis Boeing, the largest company that does it in the United States? Yeah. So the way way I I found out about that place, about that piece, is because all of a sudden on Twitter, Tons of people are tagging me and that piece uh, and saying, you know, I've been erased. All my work on trying to abolish the Export-Import Bank, which is an export subsidy agency, and that w- uh, which uh, main beneficiary is Boeing, um, uh, uh, is just like, like, pe- like the, that it's as if that doesn't exist, right? And so it was... Um, it was interesting because uh, so people are saying, you know, this piece is, is like not talking about any of the subsidies that Boeing is receiving. And and I didn't really read the piece, but I, I, I just responded by saying by saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Boeing, Boeing is an artifact of, of market fundamentalism. And Oren Cass uh, tweeted, well, that's not what the piece is about. So I thought, okay, well, maybe that's not what the piece is about. Maybe it's just, you know, it's more like what I what I told you at the beginning, the way I understood the piece to be. But the truth is, the truth is that the at the beginning of the piece, they do this, this funny, funny, funny contrast between Airbus, you know, this company that was came out of the mind of of government, was funded by government, you know, hundreds of billions of Government subsidies and and preferential terms on loan, blah 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 blah. Meanwhile, you know, Boeing is this uh, market kind of thing that does uh, that thinks only about short term profits and 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 do 
does buy back better. And of course, and so they, there is there is this idea of contrasting two models and one that I guess in the head of the American compass is one is one that's industrial policy versus the market one that's represented by Boeing. And of course, that's laughable. While Boeing wasn't born out of the mind of, of governments, right? That was, it wasn't created by a consortium of government. It has been supported by government one way or another for decades. In fact, um, when I started to actually work on the export import bank is after I read um, David Stockman, who was the former president or the former budget director under President Reagan, talking about testifying before Congress to try to abolish, so that was in the 80s, the export import bank, and talking about how for decades uh, Boeing had received, it was already the biggest beneficiary, um, it had already received uh, uh, subsidies for for, for uh, several decades. And so, and, and when you look above and beyond, uh, it's more than the export import bank. It's really, it's, it's state... And uh, state and local uh, tax credits. It's it's uh, it's you know, Boeing is extremely cozy with everyone in government. Uh, when you uh, with Treasury, with I mean, it just then the really the FAA uh, that came out that was highlighted when the Max their Max had had problems and 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 unfortunately like two of them. Um, uh, you know, just uh, had fatal failures and and killed hundreds of people. Um, that the close relationship between the FAA and and uh, and Boeing uh, was was just uh, Boeing was in charge of certifying its own uh, its own uh, plane effectively, and and so there's tons of money going to the Boeing. It's very different. But so if anything, if you want to be honest about what we're looking at, we're not comparing industrial policy, smart industrial policy with uh, with with market fundamentalism. What this is looking at, and I would have preferred, I thought it would have been more honest if they had said here, listen, here are two ways to do industrial policy. We think the Airbus one is better. That's a completely different piece. Than saying contrasting them as if one one is the product of some sort of like you know just market fundamentalism uh, nonsense, and especially because the way commercial aircraft uh, uh, is done today is at its core, it's a it's a government kind of um, business. Um, it's just like I mean, let's not forget that President Obama when he was giving a talk in Seattle. Uh, at, at a Boeing plant, or I don't know, I can't remember, was it Seattle, Washington? I can't remember where it was. But he asked for a gold watch for all the Boeing planes it was selling around the world, right? They're just, because there's also, um, arguably, I don't know, I mean, that's not my area of expertise, but maybe some national security uh, uh, side to it. But though I'm not, there's definitely some geopolitical uh, side to, to selling planes. Uh, which doesn't have to be um, solved by having presidents uh, selling commercial planes, but just kind of this notion that somehow those two are contra- we're contrasting like the market versus government are, is silly. 
Well, your point, too, about local subsidies, I lived in Chicago for about 15 years, and uh, my office was a couple blocks away from the building with the big Boeing logo at the top of it where their corporate headquarters was. And when the subsidies in Chicago dried up uh, to support their presence in the city, they decided to move their corporate office. So I think that's another testament to exactly what you were saying there. Oh, yes. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just it's it's a laughable comparison. Again, I think. It could have been a much more interesting piece by saying, okay, government's going to be involved. How do we do it? Right? And it's like, and acknowledge that there are costs. But the other thing that's like remarkable about this piece of all the stuff that they don't do, that they they don't do and in the end that makes the piece really not serious. Not serious because they're just bragging about Airbus being like this great success. Versus doesn't talk at all about the fact that we've been in a, a recently it ended in a trade war uh, between the U.S. and Europe over those same subsidies that basically either European were um, impacted with uh, by giving because because they went before the WTO to complain at Boeing at the U.S. went before the WTO to complain about all these European subsidies that were insane. Um, the um, the 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 U.S. was allowed then to impose seven point five billion dollars in tariffs, uh, which are of course paid by you know your uh, U.S. Cons- consumers. Um, and then what did the, what did the European do? They retaliated with tariffs, right? And they've been at seventeen years of of trade wars, which has an enormous impact, right? It's not as if it's kind of like, look, you can just put all the subsidies you you want and they're just like, yeah, sure, you impact. There's a lot of taxes. There's a lot of distortion in the capital one and job market and all of that stuff, but we just don't care. It has bigger implications. The other thing is like the piece, I mean, is bragging about how, you know, people kind of say that, uh, Air, that Airbus has a captive audience, a captive customer, base in Europe. And look, it's been very, very um, effective at selling planes around the world. Uh, not untrue, but it also, um, a lot of it it did with bribery, literally bribery. And it was just condemned to pay $4 billion in bribes and in, in, in fees for bribing uh, governments to... So it's like, there's this kind of, uh, this. it's just kind of, I mean, just kind of, I don't know, understand why, like, um, it, it's, it's just kind of, and then goes back to kind of, so what is the lesson? What, what, what's, what's, what is the lesson we're supposed to kind of learn? Uh, not to mention that, you know, when you, listen, Airbus has been effective. It's grown. I mean, it's at least, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a serious, serious, serious player in a world of two, mostly. Right in a world of two, right? It's a it's a very serious player, but it's not that superior. And the thing that's laughable is that the American Compass could have said at least it's a serious player, right? And they're kind of neck and neck all the time, kind of like who has the biggest share. But as as anyone who's watched the result of an election between two people, right? The gap between them when one gave a point, the other one lose one. So it's like. It can the gap can look bigger than it actually really. I mean, well, not bigger than it is. It, this is how it is. But 
it's just kind of it's a um, it would be much more impressive than they were if there were many many more uh, competitors. Whether that can be the case, I I don't know. But um, and the the other thing is like it compares one of the big selling points for how Airbus is super successful. Like he compares the twenty twenty two their deliveries without actually kind of acknowledging that the reason why those sales are significantly better, bigger uh, for Airbus is because because Boeing has had problems with the Max and it's had to stuck entirely stop delivering and for 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 several years now. And and not only are their 2022 number for uh Boeing um the wrong ones, by the way, they say it's 410 when it's really 480. And it's weird because it links to a piece that says 480. But it just it's just really bizarre. You're comparing, really comparing things that you shouldn't be comparing. And and they're taking one data point and they're making it as if this is going to be uh, the, like this forever. But more importantly, in the lesson learned, like, what does it mean? The fact that Airbus is successful um, and has been successful at the time where it was put in place, does it mean that uh, it can be reproduced uh, in another sector? Uh, and, and again, we we don't talk about, is it worth the cost? That is not, that is just never something that they're interested in talking about. Yeah, your last point there, I think, has a lot of relevance to a point that you were just making as well about uh, there are only two competitors in this market space. So it, it is one thing, uh, your point is very well taken, it, it would be one thing entirely if the policies that Europe was engaging in to support Airbus had managed to distinguish it in a crowded market uh, where there are a whole bunch of other uh, commercial aircraft manufacturers, not just Boeing. Um, that would be one thing. But like your point about elections is is very well taken, that yeah, when one grows, the other shrinks by definition, yeah. uh, as you're only splitting up between the two. That's interesting too, by the way, is that at the time, um, at the time where um, they decided to create uh, Airbus, right? There were, I think, three, three most. I think it was it was uh, Douglas, uh, uh, Lockheed, and and Boeing. And what's interesting is what what really Airbus has done is displaced the other two, not Boeing. So the share of the market by Boeing may have gone down a little bit, but not significantly. Now, I don't know how relevant this is. And by the way, interestingly enough, another thing we're we're asking, I mean, that, that it's, we are not talking about at all in that pieces is, um, you know, because we it's, it's important in the context of China. It's like, okay, so you want government to spend hundreds and billions of dollars plus other tons of other privileges to create a company that will compete with our biggest, closest, friendliest trade and military ally. You know, I mean, we we can talk about, we can, we can, I mean, I just, I think that's kind of a little weird. I mean, the, again, National security, they may be national, there's certainly geopolitical stuff, but is it really well resolved through air commercial aircraft? I mean, that's, I will leave this out to other people, but. 
Well, yeah, I think there's another point we should make as well about uh, Boeing in terms of the ways that it is government supported, uh, not just in terms of the kinds of subsidies that you already talked about, but it is also um, one of the biggest providers to the military sector in the yeah. United States because well, money is fungible. 50, 50, yeah, yeah. 50 percent, I think it's like roughly 50 or 40 percent of its budget. Um, is is comes of its profit comes from from the military. Um, it's it's much smaller for Airbus, but it, there's some some of that they do satellite and things like this. So there's some there's some of this. Uh, I don't um, with with Airbus, but it's much it's significantly lower. I want to go back to something you talked about a little bit, and I know you've done a lot of work on, which is the Export-Import Bank. Um, I became mostly familiar with this story through uh, both your work and the work of uh, my friend Tim Carney. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the history of the Export-Import Bank, how it came to be, and how did it come to be that it so uniquely benefits this one uh, aircraft manufacturing company? The Export-Import Bank, I mean, it started during the... uh uh, during the New Deal, it's a New Deal era uh, program, um, and uh, it was kind of always justified as a way to kind of compete with other government, especially communist government. And um, and it is a it's an agency that does um, it effectively. So export credit agencies they uh, either subsidize insurance. That's a small part of what they do. The subsidized insurance uh, for exporters uh, to market that are like, for instance, private insurance are allegedly uh, would not would not extend because they're too dangerous or whatever. Um, they um, so it means that a lot of the beneficiaries are domestic. They also uh, extend. Uh, they used to extend direct loans, but now it's mostly loan guaranteed to um, and, and their biggest. Basically, to, to companies abroad, to foreign uh, uh, companies that will buy a U.S. product, and the idea, the reason for this is twofold. The one is to try to promote export through those loans, but it's also to fight um, the fact that these foreign companies, other foreign manufacturers are actually subsidized themselves by their uh, government. So it's basically to countervail subsidies. It's a little bit like it's a trade war, effectively, uh, which is idiotic. It's just, there's no, I mean, it's just like, you know, it, it it doesn't work. So it's like the, the countervailing argument is, uh, is a big one. The kind of the fact that it's a, it, they like to talk about themselves at the letter of last resort, and the 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 as you know, it's a good question. How then? Because Boeing has been uh, one of the main beneficiary for decades, and how? Why is it that particular um, that particular industry? I you know I do not know. I should probably know that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that. On the loan front, on the loan guaranteed front, uh, Boeing uh, is beneficiary of 70% of the activities um, and 10 big manufacturers, um, uh, including GE. It was basically uh, uh, 70% 70 of the 
of the so of the overall activity, forty percent of the activity benefited for uh, Boeing, and of the of uh, the overall activity, it's roughly sixty five to seventy percent, depending on the year, benefit ten big companies. And and the thing that's like when you actually look at the countervailing, so countervailing, it's like it's like with the tariffs, right? It's a, the countervailing uh, subsidies. So basically, what we know of export subsidies is that they're they're um, good, somewhat good for the company, but on net for the nation, they're not good. So this argument that because let's say France is subsidizing its exporters and hence hurting the French people or the French economy, we should do the same. It's just something bizarre. In my opinion, we should be, you know, if really, if really we're that hostile and that kind of eager to be superior, uh, we should just let them subsidize the hell out of everything and us do nothing. Why would we jump over the bridge with them? So that's always seemed like a stupid argument. And when you, the other thing is like, you know, the argument, the argument is always like, we need to give preferential terms to these uh, foreign companies to buy our stuff. Otherwise, they're not going to, they're going to go buy something else. Uh, it's just not proven. For instance, like, um, like the the risk is always that they are going to go buy a, an Airbus, um, an Airbus plane. But the the companies don't choose this way. They they try to see which plane fits the market and uh, and uh, the flight that they're going to provide, the routes that they're going to provide, and and they and they they think about they think about the financing later, and then of course they'll be eager to get to get uh, a discounted loan if they can, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't get access to capital. So while they talk of themselves as a letter of last resort, they're not. Yeah, I think you preempted one of the questions I was going to ask, which is, uh, I, I think one of the arguments that you hear is, and uh, the kind of uh, chronology of this is a little reversed in the Airbus and Boeing situation that we're talking about, because as you detailed in the beginning of this conversation, it was the decision was made in Europe to subsidize this and support this company to become a competitor to not just Boeing, but McDonnell Douglas and Lockheed. Um, and it displaces the other two and Boeing becomes its main competitor. But I, I think the argument you hear is, well, we can't control the policy choices that Europe is making. They're going to choose to support this company and uh, essentially protect it from market impacts that if they weren't making the best products, that people then wouldn't buy it. They're going to subsidize it. They're going to make it so cheap. Um, they're going to make it so advantageous for people to buy Airbus that the playing field has become unfair, that if Boeing were to operate just as a uh, in a market fundamentalist world where it has to survive just on the quality of the product that it's putting out there, it the competition is unfair. So why shouldn't the United States then do the same kinds of things for Boeing that Europe is doing for Airbus? Well, this, by the way, this is the same argument we're using with the same semiconductor and China, right? Um, and it's it's the same it's the same argument. And uh, so uh, I think I think it makes no, no sense because like look at the history of of Airbus, right? Um, but first, there's just a lot of there like investing a lot of money in commercial uh, uh, aircraft uh, by government is not a guarantee that you're going to be able to produce. Uh, something good, and it's not just with 
with commercial aircraft. Well, the Soviet Union invested a lot in the uh, production of certain automobiles, and it certainly didn't make good automobiles. Exactly. But look also, also, I mean, the Russian, the Russian and the Chinese have been trying to actually produce, come up with their own uh, aircraft, and and it's just not working for them. And and it's not that the Chinese haven't produced uh, something; it's just that people are not buying it for all sorts of reasons. Like they're not buying it because either they don't like it, it doesn't fit their model. They don't trust it. I mean, there's just all sorts of reasons why it's not working. So it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a done deal. The other thing is like you look at Airbus alone. Airbus has actually produced some very innovative, uh, narrow, uh, wide uh, planes. Uh, I think kind of, I'm not an expert, but that's what ex, but they have, they've systematically failed to actually produce, uh, to produce a plane that could compete with Boeing planes, uh, that have a wider, Body. And even when they produced one, that was the A320, uh, 380, I think, that was like everyone said was very innovative. People just didn't want it. It just didn't. It just people didn't want it. They had to stop the production and uh, and and probably not pay that that loan back, right? So, and by the way, no mention of this. This is reset. No mention of this in in the American Compass uh, piece um, uh, about about the, the 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 utter failure of the of a plane that had a great design apparently but but just people didn't want for whatever reason right and um and so there's subsidies they just i i i talk with a lot of people who say who come here uh, especially with all this renewed um uh you know in, intensity over subsidizing uh, semiconductor and things like this. And I, I would talked with, uh, some Europeans, uh, right. I mean, I, I, there was, there was some from, uh, from Germany. And I said, it's really interesting that your starting point is that whatever the U S is doing in terms of just massively subsidizing semiconductor is going to work, is going to end up producing chips that people want. And that are going to start dominating. You're like, take people take this for granted that before, because the government invests is going to work out. When the truth of the matter is that even if you ignore the cost, there's a, there's, there, there are a lot of, there's a really great chance that chips are going to be produced, but it's unclear that this is what people are going to want. Because the subsidies are going to produce something very specific. And if, for instance, anyone innovates even slightly different and those chips could become obsolete or in, or is going to, because there's so many strings attached that comes with the subsidies, that is going to take a long, 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 long time to produce this. Or that because of all the strings attached, companies are not going to try to walk. There's just so many things, but yet, People treat all these subsidies as if they're going to deliver and they're going to not just deliver a chip, a semiconductor, whatever. They're, they're not even like looking at really how much of an impact it's going to have. And, and even by industry um, specialists, like you put all these subsidies in and for the, the semiconductor is going to raise potentially in the base case scenario the share of the U.S. market by 12 to 14 percent. So it's, it's, it's actually quite small. But even in that best case scenario, right, I mean, it's just 
they take this for granted that it's going to work. And 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 I think this is this is the this is the same that's happening in that conversation about Airbus and uh, and 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 Boeing. There's something else that uh, this is a bit of an anecdotal observation, and I don't know that it's anything that either of us can actually really speak to, but I, I fly a pretty good amount. And one of the things that you'll notice when you fly regularly is, you know, these are these planes are incredibly expensive. The airlines that purchase them usually have them in their fleet for a very long period of time. You know, I've certainly flown on planes that are quite obviously several decades old. Um, and in most cases, the major airlines, and we can get into a whole other conversation on government subsidies when it comes to the airlines themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, when they uh, move out of the fleet of some of the larger airlines, they're often just sold off to some of the smaller airlines who run even older planes there. So I, I've always wondered about the, as I read both your piece and the American Compass piece, the numbers about deliveries, you know, yeah, that means something in some way. But, you know, this is unlike semiconductors where like you're constantly buying a whole bunch of these of this product. Yeah. You know, there are regular purchases, of course, of commercial airlines, but it is something that stays within the fleet of these airlines for a very long period of time. And I'm I am certainly not uh, equipped to be able to suss out the meaning and the impact of that within this kind of a conversation. But it just seems like a very different product in that well, sense. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I agree. And I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about the manufacturing of, of commercial aircraft. I know more now than I did before I wrote that piece. In fact, you know, when I, at first I was going to write a response and then I, like that was going to be just a blog post. And then I thought, you know, the more I thought about it, I thought, I thought actually, uh, I'm not, kind of answering what they're trying to actually say. So it just required a kind of uh, uh, bigger treatment. But so I'm still not, you know, a, um, a, and I'm certainly not an expert in that particular field. Uh, my co- colleague, Gary uh, Lepp, is, uh, if you, if you want to know all things about travel and, and airlines and aircraft, uh, go to, uh, you from the wings. It's a really great blog, and it's, it's often really funny too. It's like a lot of links to airline related and and, and stuff. And he helped me a fair amount for the for, for this piece. But one of the things that I know is and, and is that in the same way as you know, it looks like so for instance, like Boeing could be getting into trouble because it looks like they're not doing very much. At least it seems to replace their seven. That they're 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 the the seven forty eight or eighty seven right, which was their big big, just I mean just kind of amazing piece of technology and amazing innovation, amazing. Um, and I think the Max, you know, was supposed to be some of that, but um, but it's also, you know, as you hinted at. Like the ability to expand your market is not just a matter of supply, right? You can produce and produce and produce and produce planes if there's no demand on the other side because there's a recession or people have enough planes and governments are restricting the number of airlines that can actually exist. Or we decide to shut down the air travel market for an entire year because of a pandemic. Yes, but then it's like it's so it's like there's 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 a lot of regulations that are actually preventing 
airlines from competing. And the, and the, and the US, U.S. is doing a lot of that, right? It's trying to, it's constantly trying to, uh, uh, on the one hand, it's subsidizing Air India, which then is going to compete with Delta, uh, with, subsi- with planes that are di- effectively discounted, and it's a significant amount of money. Um, and, but on, on the other hand, airline, airlines, U.S. airlines have, have constantly, constantly uh, lobbying government to try to prevent foreign airlines to effectively, you don't fly, there's a reason why you don't fly from L.A. to, to D.C. on an Air India flight. Unless it's a, a flight, I think I think the rule is like unless it comes from it comes from uh, I don't exactly know what the rule, but I assume that you can do it when you fly from from Bombay to whatever, and and you have you have to stop. I had a couple international flights uh, last year, and you know it, I took uh, American Airlines from Grand Rapids to either Chicago or New York, and then I took an American Airlines flight to London, and then it was a British Airways flight from London to Oslo, or it was British Airways coming back to New York, and then I took an American Airlines flight from New York yeah, yeah, to no, Grand so Rapids. I, I mean, they, they, like, there's just like airlines don't want foreign airlines. Yep. So you have all these kind of regulatory competing forces, and they have a big impact on on the demand for 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 planes. Uh, I mean, it's like the Jones Act, right? I mean, there's a reason why. Uh, it's also there's a reason why that like those boats, those those vessels are so expensive in a lot of ways because they're restrict they're restrict. Um, um, they restrict who can actually do things and deliver things from port to port. And this, I assume, I don't know, but I assume a lot of that um, plays out. So um, um, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm very curious. Um, I'm very curious to see if that kind of market share advantage, um, you know, you know, uh, holds. I mean, it's small, by the way really small but it's also it's also it's not as if you're Boeing Boeing has lost its way in a lot of ways and in big part it's because it's it's really a crony institution that devotes probably a lot of its uh resources getting favors from government officials as as opposed to focusing on its uh on its uh you know, on producing plays. Um, at, at the very least, that's what a lot of people are saying. And they've gotten so cozy with politicians that they, and they also are like not worried about about competition. And when they're competition, if you remember a few years ago, they try to prevent Bombardier from selling planes to whomever, whomever, right? They just spent a lot of money and resources and time fighting against competitors, not by becoming a better company that produces better planes, that produces new planes, but by actually trying to block competitors. So it's going to be now Now that American Compass has put this, uh, this, this issue on my radar, I'm going to be following it just, just for the sake of it. For the final question, I want to zoom out to the 50,000-foot view, um, which is, I guess, where we're flying at for this question. Uh, 
industrial policy and the promotion of the idea of industrial policy seems to be a, a big reason behind uh, American Compass's work. Um, presuming that you think uh, engaging in industrial policy, and I think this is a fair assumption, is a mistake on the United States's part. Um, why is uh, the idea of you know, when we see you know, the turmoil in the economy and we always get references to places like, you know, Youngstown, Ohio and all of that where industry has kind of just been decimated. Um, <clears throat> what are the arguments against an industrial policy approach uh, like the one that uh, American Compass is advocating for, not just in the case of airline manufacturing here, but I think in a whole bunch of other sectors? What what are the problems that that approach creates? Well, I think we've touched on a lot of it, right? I mean, it's just like, when you talk with people who advocate for industrial policy, they always point to like some success stories, but they never actually show you. They they measure success by showing you that there's a product that was created, uh, and that and that they employ people, and they never uh, they never talk to you about the actual cost of it. How because because it's hard. How many jobs is displaced? Has it actually been a benefit for the economy as a whole? We have actually a fair amount of of. Uh, uh, research shows that that it's it's not it's not the case. It may be good for the bottom line of these companies, but it doesn't. It's not it's not a net beneficiary for the economy. But more importantly, industrial policy by design has to be um, has to be a policy that favors some, so that picks winners. And again, because it has a cost at the expense of others. So um, that, that's like that's the core, right? It's like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna Give lots of subsidies to semiconductor. We're going to try to revive. We're going to revive uh, manufacturing. We're going to um, do this and that. I mean, independently of what I think about the goals, which I think are just not good, um, um, I, I just uh, it means they're going to pick winners. It's going to cost a lot of money. Very often, the money is misallocated, so it means that the cost is even bigger than it was going to be. Uh, uh, it's usually doesn't work that great. Um, and and it's it's also um it has one of the costs that it has is like it it prevents innovation, it prevents uh it prevents uh better product to come on the market. It prevents uh uh it, it prevents it kind of makes the industries like not not as flexible uh and 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 able to kind of adapt change. Scott Lincecum had a good piece at, at the dispatch uh, looking at South Korea. South Korea, which arguably has done a lot of industrial policy to and invested a lot in the in the tech sector. Uh, you know, when 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 that area is affected, the whole country is affected, right? And 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 when you subsidize just one type of product, if if innovations are going somewhere else, you're stuck, there's a path dependency. Uh, aspect to this. But more importantly, like the reason why industrial policy is making a comeback is because people have concerns about workers in some areas of the country. And 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 there, there, there are places where um, it used to be the case that uh, when you had an economic shock or uh, a crisis or whatever, um, unemployment in some areas would go up. And then as people would change jobs and or move away, the unemployment would go down. But this adjustment is not really happening. So then you have these pockets of unemployment, <clears throat> of high unemployment, lower wage in the country, which 
by the way, you know, I mean, the disparities between different areas always existed, right? And they are like, you have people, especially men, moving out of the labor force. So they're like, we're, these things are real. But I think the problem is when you focus on industrial policy as a way to solve these problems, that is not going to work. That is not going to, you may produce a plane, but that is not going to be by hiring the people in those towns you're trying to, um, to, to, to help. And so as such, we're, they're focusing on the wrong thing when we could be having a very productive conversation about what could be done, if anything, to help. And there's a lot of things you could remove all the barriers. All the incentive to actually stay there, uh, remove all the barriers to move, get new jobs, um, you know, get training somewhere, like zoning and land use and and all sorts of things, occupational licensing and and all that stuff. Um, uh, we're we're not talking about this. We're talking about all the ways that the government can do something that is not going to help these people, and 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 we know. I mean, it's basically taking the, the, the wrong target. It's like, it's saying it's the market, which has actually been a tremendous force in helping people not just get out of poverty, not just, uh, uh, have better lives. That's produced just amazing things, but also kind of, uh, if left, uh, to like, if, if left relatively unhindered and actually helped been a great way for people to adjust to better lives um if by by saying that market is the enemy though it's not perfect i'm not claiming it's perfect you're just basically you're you're just risking to actually make things much worse veronique deruji is a senior research fellow at the mercatus center at george mason university She's the author of the article, A Closer Look at Aircraft Industrial Policy, published at National Review, which we have been discussing today. Veronique, thanks so much for joining us today on Act in Line. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at actin.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Eric Combs.